So the reading this evening is Psalm 119. It's on page 618 in the Church Bibles. Um, it's the letter Daleth in the Hebrew, that section of the psalm. So Psalm 618, beginning at verse 25. I am laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. I gave an account of my ways, and you answered me. Teach me your decrees. Cause me to understand the way of your precepts, that I may meditate on your wonderful deeds. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me and teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I have set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes, Lord. Do not let me be put to shame. I run in the path of your commands, for you have broadened my understanding. Let us <clears throat> very quickly um, pray that God would speak to all of us this evening. Lord, open our hearts that we may hear your voice to us. Teach us your way, O Lord. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in the book of Psalms. And uh, there is a funny story about um, a bishop from Edinburgh in the 17th uh, century who for some reason, we don't need to mention here, um, was um, condemned to death. And uh, on the day of his execution, while he was still on the uh, scaffold, um, he made use of this tradition they had in the 17th century where you are entitled to, um, <clears throat> for the choir to chant a, uh, a psalm, a whole, a whole psalm. And he uh, chose Psalm 119. And uh, less than two-thirds through the psalm, uh, someone came running and stopped the execution because he had very um, um, sneakily uh, asked for a pardon the morning of the execution, and he just used Psalm 119 to extend the time uh, of his execution. And, um, and this story really reminds me of my younger son, who um, his love for the Word of God suddenly springs off at night, just before bedtime. He would um, settle for no other than the whole canon. 
I love Jesus, that's what he says to me when I say, let us stop reading and please go to sleep. I love Jesus. So the whole canon, the whole story from um, um, in the beginning till amen, come Lord Jesus. Uh, I'm so glad that he doesn't know about the Apocrypha yet. <laughs> but <clears throat> David in, in, in this psalm seems to have uh, a love relationship with God's word. Listen to what he says. Teach me your decrees. Cause me to understand the ways, the way of your precepts. Strengthen me according to your word. Teach me your law. I have set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes, Lord. I run in the path of your commands. This sounds like someone who really has a love relationship with God's law, with God's commands. But he also expresses not just an affection for God's commands, but also um, an appreciation and dedication to God's commands, to fulfill God's commands. However, if, if we look elsewhere in other Psalms, we'll see David, the same writer, in a not so utopian relationship with God's word. For example, in um, Psalm 51, when David received God's word um, through the prophet Nathan, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, he was devastated. He was shaken to the, down to the core. The word of God at this instance did not bring life to David. It killed him. It revealed his sinfulness. Listen to what he says. After he heard God's word, he says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. This looks like a totally different reaction to God's word from what we read in Psalm 119. So, and, and, and also despite of this unpleasant confrontation with the word of God, David knew that God's judgment according to his commandments, according to his law, is just. In the same psalm, he, would, he, he says, you are right. Your word is right. Your command is right. You are right in your verdict. You are justified when you judge according to your command. He says, though, even though he knows very well that he has broken God's law, he has done not just adultery, but also murder. I think if we take the word of God as just speech from God, originating from God, we will misunderstand what the word of God really is. And we will be puzzled why the same person would be very happy with the word of God at one time and very sad to receive it in another. 
The word of God brings joy at some instance, but grief in another. This is because the nature of God's words are, is different from our words. And there is always a danger to look and understand, understand God's words just as we understand human imperatives. Imperative is a, a, a grammatical word where um, a verb is put into um, the sense of command, like sleep, calm down, go. These are all imperatives. And <clears throat> I don't know if you tried to use imperatives with your kids before, especially in the time of bedtime. When you say, sleep, calm down, what does this do to the child? It tells him what he needs to do, but it does not have power in itself to calm the child down. Sometimes sleep brings forth something totally different, like jump up and down on the bed, or feel hungry and ask for food in the middle of the night. God's words, God's commands are not like that. They are different. God's word is effective. It is live. It does what it says. God said in the beginning, let there be light. These are just words. It's an imperative, but it's an effectual word. The very next words are, let there be light, and then there was light. Let there be a separation between uh, the seas. Let there be a separation from the heavens and the earth. All these commands, words from God, which he uttered, has the power in itself to bring forth what it desires, what it wants. So God's word is active. Listen to what God says to Jeremiah. I have put my words in your mouth. God's using his words again here. What for? Look how active God's word is. To uproot and to tear down. That doesn't sound very nice. To destroy and to overthrow. To build and to plant. So, God's word, as some theologian says, uh, a famous theologian once said, God's working is his wording. When God works, he speaks, and when he speaks, he works. And this is what happens when we read the Bible. This is what happens every time God speaks. God's word through the law, through the commands, kills us, confronts us, shows us who we are by nature, and God's word through the gospel brings us back to life and the newness of the spirit. 
So when we read Psalm 119 closely, we realize that the love David has for the word of God has been born out of an experience of his own inadequacy and inability to conform to the law. David's celebration of God's word in Psalm 119 is that of a man who has been brought to death by God's commands and brought back to life by the mercy of the gospel. A man who was killed by the letter and brought back to life by the spirit. Let us look closely at what he says. I am laid low in dust. When we read one, Psalm 119, the, the, the very first impression we get is that this is someone who is in love with God's commands, with God's law. And this is right. But there is more to that between the lines. I am laid low in the dust. Who would say something like that? Verse 27, cause me to understand the way of your precepts. This would come out of a person who knows himself, that by nature he does not understand God's precepts. It comes out of a person who uh, came to know himself as ignorant of of what God wants. Someone who had confessed before that he disobeyed God's commands. That I may meditate on your wonderful deeds. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me. Verse 31, do not let me put to shame. In other words, don't leave me to the state I find myself in when I'm confronted with your word, with your command. We are always prone, unfortunately, to water down or dilute God's commands, God's word. I, um, um, I was traveling back from Tunisia to England, and we landed in London, Heathrow, and <clears throat> unfortunately, Uh, Not all the employees were there, so at the passport control, we waited for about four and a half hours. So I had a lot of time to read every sign in the the hall, every every sign, and to talk to people from different nationalities and and all that. And one one of the signs really spoke to me was about what's allowed and what's, what's not allowed in England. At first stance, it was really funny. It had cameras, allowed, check. Souvenirs, allowed, check. Cocaine, not allowed. <laughs> that would sound really, really silly. But I think whoever commanded that this be put up knows very well the human um, 
tendency to pray around, to pray around with the laws, to fiddle with them, to twist them. Um, this is not cocaine. It's um, it's part of my makeup. Or this is not cocaine. It is um, it's flour. It's a secret baking stuff uh, that I'm bringing bringing in. Sometimes we are prone to do that with God's word, not to take it seriously, not to take God's commands seriously, to twist them so that they are more comfortable to us, to avoid the confrontation, to avoid the, the, the rooting out that, God, that God's word does to us sometimes. We, are, we, we, we try to avoid uproot and tear down and try to find a shortcut to build and plant. But the word of God has to be taken in its entirety. We cannot escape the unpleasant confrontation with God's word. Imagine with me, I think we, when we read some passages in the Bible that describe people hearing God's word, we take them lightly. Imagine God's words to Virgin Mary. You are a virgin, but you will give birth. For us, we say, yay, what a lovely story. For a young woman in a Jewish family, that's a disaster. Imagine God's word to Abraham. Sacrifice your only son, Isaac. We take this as if it's a, a light test, but really it's, it's devastating. It's a devastating confrontation with the word of God. God's word to Zechariah, God's word to his kings, the kings of Israel, the, the, the word of God came through the prophet and he said to the king, you have disobeyed God. I will turn your kingdom down. A devastating confrontation was the word of God. But there is no way we can reach the sweetness and the life-giving promise of the gospel unless we are true to what God's commands, what God commands us. Through these confrontations, our human pride and sinfulness are laid bare. Our reality, as did in our sins and transgressions, is revealed. But the word of God does not stop there. It raises us in the newness of the spirit. It is only when we look at Jesus, the true fulfiller of the law, that we can see the life-giving nature of God's word. When you look at Jesus, the son of God who has lifted the curse of the disobedience of the law from us.
and gave us his life, his fulfillment of the law, it's only then that we can delight in God's commands like David did in Psalm 119. There is a wonderful hymn which goes like this, to see the law by Christ fulfilled, to hear his pardoning voice, changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. In Psalm 119, David sounds like a child, not a slave. He sounds like someone whose word of God laid bare his iniquity, his sinfulness, his impotence, his weakness to obey God's word. And he was brought to life again by the Spirit. Augustine's words are really helpful here said as he prayed to God, give what you command and command what you will. <laughs> this is someone who knows very well that he cannot obey what, God's com what God commands. But he confesses, give what you command. By your word, breathe in me life so that I can love your command. When we do this, when we realize this, not only do we take the word of God, the commands of God as they are, however uncomfortable they are to us, but we also look at God's command in a different way. Sometimes, I would be very, very anxious and stressed and worried about something. And I, would kind, and, and, and I would come across a verse from the Bible, which supposed to calm me down, or supposed to give me comfort. But the opposite happens. So I would read um, Jesus' words, don't be anxious. Don't worry, you are much better than many, many sparrows. And I would read this as a command. Jesus commands me not to worry, but I'm worrying. I'm so bad. And now I'm worrying about worrying. For someone who is confronted by God's word, knows and have been brought back to life, is not a slave and is a child, and he deals with God's commands as a child, not as a slave. So he sees God's promise even in God's law, even in God's command. Um, Luther, um, talking about the first commandment, I am your Lord, your God. He says, we can read this as a promise. It does not just mean don't worship 
money, don't worship academic success, I am your only God, it also means for a child, you are my child. I am your God. I will never let go of you. So in this sense, the same command can bring us unease, show how adulterous we are, worshipping other gods, but for a child, for someone who had been killed by the command and brought back to life, they would see this as a promise. The word of God, law and gospel, is a way for us to know ourselves as we are, and it is a working word that brings us back to life in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Lord, please help us to accept your word please help us to be thankful Help us to be thankful as we experience your words power in us. And Lord, please give us faith that whatever you started in us, you will complete. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray, Lord, that through your word, you will tear down and build up. I pray, Lord, that you would touch our lives through your word. Lord, help us to expose the parts where we are so afraid to expose to your word. Give us faith. Lord, I pray that your word will reveal the disease and the gospel would give us healing. 
In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much, Shady. The powerful reminder about